Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. I'm going to be sharing with you concerning the impeachment vote in the House of Representatives of President Donald Trump and (laughs) some related matters. But if you have listened to prior programs, prior episodes of After All is Said and Done, you know that I have not been a fan of President Trump, not a fan of the man Donald Trump, not a promoter of him, not a supporter of him, and so on and so forth. So I would like you to keep that in mind while I share with you what I'm going to I'm going to be featuring information from two articles in particular that are at thedailysignal.com. These are articles from The Daily Signal, which is an organ, if you will, of the Heritage Foundation. And in addition to those, I'll be commenting from other sources. But, again, my perspective, going back back to when the, the brouhaha was going on that amounted to uh, the foreshadowing of whom would be our president, it was the rough-and-tumble presidential campaign of not just Donald Trump, but of all of the other aspirants. This was before he secured the nomination. And in fact, at the time that he entered the fray, from the get-go, I was saying he is not qualified, he is not worthy, he is not deserving, he is not fit. But, How many of our presidents have been? How many have been? And the flag bearer of the Democrat Party in the last presidential go-round, Hillary Rodham Clinton, who, of course, had attempted before that. It would have been monstrous for her to be elected. And this nation would have suffered under so much more from not just Hillary Rodham, who had been co-president with Bill, but from Bill and from their whole machine. But instead, Donald Trump came to power courtesy of a great many people who were extremely wildly, enthusiastically in favor of him, foolishly and (laughs) blindly and ignorantly, but nonetheless, again, excessively enthusiastic about his presidency. Well, beginning with this article, the title is The House Has Impeached President Trump. Where do we go from here? And this is commentary 
by John G. Malcolm. He is vice president of the Institute for Constitutional Government, director of the Edwin Meese III Center for Legal and Judicial Studies. And I'm going to be excerpting from this article. It said, Donald Trump is now the 20th person, the third president to be impeached by the House of Representatives in our nation's history. But going back, back a ways, on January 20th, 2017, the day that Donald Trump was sworn in as president, a Washington Post headline read, quote, the campaign to impeach Trump has begun, end quote. On the day that he was sworn in, the Washington Post proclaimed this, that the campaign to impeach him had begun. Then, there were following incidents. Ten days later, tweeting from the attorney who represented a so-called whistleblower, and stated that the coup has started. Hashtag coup has started. First of many steps. Rebellion. Impeachment will follow ultimately. Then on May 17th, Representative Al Green, Democrat, Texas. He gave a speech before the House of Representatives. He urged his colleagues to impeach the president. Then, July 12th, Representative Al Green and Representative Brad Sherman, Democrat from California, they filed the first articles of impeachment against President Trump. Now, understand, (laughs) the impeachment that was voted through in the House of Representatives, ruled and reigned over by none other than Nancy Pelosi of California. It was concerning matters, that impeachment vote was concerning matters that were not present at this time. (laughs) He was being impeached. This impeachment process was rolling, was (laughs) gaining traction. And what he ultimately was voted in the House of Representatives to be impeached on had not taken place. Doesn't that beg the question (laughs) of the legitimacy of this whole impeachment process. Well, Wednesday night, last night, in the vote by the House of Representatives, not a single Republican voted in favor of either of the articles of impeachment. Two Democrats voted against the first article, three voted against the second, 
and presidential candidate, Representative Tulsi Gabbard, Democrat Hawaii, she voted present for both. Present. So she abstained. Now, Tulsi made the following statement. Quote, removal of a sitting president must not be the culmination of a partisan process fueled by tribal animosities that have so gravely divided our country, end quote. Tribal animosities not referring to Elizabeth Warren and her purported lineage. Going back, back to 1998, there was a Democrat president whom I mentioned earlier. He was facing prospect of impeachment. And then House Judiciary Chairman, Democrat from New York, Jerry Nadler, said... Quote, there must never be a narrowly voted impeachment or an impeachment substantially supported by one of our major political parties and largely opposed by the other. Such an impeachment would lack legitimacy, would produce divisiveness or divisiveness and bitterness in our politics for years to come and will call into question the very legitimacy of our political institutions, end quote. Interesting, don't you think? What does this amount to really, in a nutshell, though? The Democrats have worked, the Democrat Party, the Democrat Party machinery has worked, frankly, before the swearing-in of President Trump, has worked since the election results were in, has worked to foment this impeachment of him, which, frankly, I, I think is a faux pas, but on their part, but nonetheless, they have. And why have they? You know, what is it they have against Donald Trump? Is it that he's corrupt? No. I have that against him. I've said that from the get-go, that he's corrupt. But that's not the issue. It's that he is the Republicans' corrupt president and not their corrupt president. That's the problem. They forgive a multitude of sins if it's their guy or their gal. That's fine. They expect it. They know one another. That is a badge of honor in the Democrat Party. Regardless how they posture themselves before the American public and talk about red, white, and blue and so on and so forth, about the Constitution and the rule of law, and motherhood and apple pie. 
their core values, the core values and convictions of the Democrat Party are absolutely, utterly, totally opposed to what this nation was created to be and intended to be. And the problem they have with Donald Trump is the same problem they had with Richard Nixon, that he's not our corrupt president, he's their corrupt president. Richard Nixon did so many things that were so helpful for the Democrat Party and were so hurtful to this nation. And then he ends up fleeing from office, concerned about being impeached. Fantastic. But really akin to Al Capone going to prison for tax evasion instead of for slaughtering people, instead of for committing all kinds of crimes, tax evasion. Well, here we have the Democrat Party up in arms at Donald Trump because he's their corrupt president and not our corrupt president. And meanwhile, they are offering to us, offering up, all manner of corrupt individuals to become president. You know, the ones like Pete Buttigieg. (laughs) Just, oh, not just corrupt, but corrupters, perverters. But that's really the crux. That's really what it comes down to is that he is the Republican corrupt president instead of the Democrat corrupt president. But Jerry Nadler, (laughs) who was only the House Judiciary Chairman, and he had these words of wisdom to impart that they should not be impeaching Bill Clinton. (laughs) No, it would be wrong. (laughs) Because it's a narrowly voted impeachment. Well, it's one of these things that they will posture, not just the Democrats, but politicians in general will posture and use flowing rhetoric to ensconce themselves in a position of honor and virtual nobility and that they are seeking the good of the American people and fighting for this and fighting for that, when in fact, corruption is rampant throughout politics. And it is pervasive in Congress and beyond. But... And that's not a new thing, to put it gently. Nancy Pelosi is very aggressively attempting to manipulate the Senate right now, to coerce the Senate into handing over power to her and her leadership 
that they have no business doing. But we are blessed. (laughs) We are blessed in so many ways, despite all of the harm, despite all of the destruction that has been wrought upon this nation, courtesy of corrupt and worse politicians. For lo, these many years of this nation's comparatively brief history, Democrats on the House Intelligence and Judiciary Committees, this time around, not back in 98, but this time around, they refused to allow their Republican colleagues to call witnesses. Strange behavior, don't you think? Meanwhile, Speaker Nancy Pelosi, she is threatening to delay transmission of the articles of impeachment until... The U.S. Senate succumbs to her charm (laughs) until the U.S. Senate adopts rules for the impeachment trial that are agreeable to her. She has no right. She has no power. She has no say-so over these things, but. She is attempting to coerce the U.S. Senate to play along with her. Article 1, Section 3 of the United States Constitution states that the Senate, the U.S. Senate, not the House of Representatives, quote, shall have the sole power to try all impeachments, end quote. And the Senate has its own rules for governing impeachment, but Speaker Pelosi is attempting to cause the leadership in the U.S. Senate to knuckle under to her. And let her manipulate the process. Well, here we are. Just shy of Christmas, ever so near entering the next year, 2020. And then on the verge of entering into presidential caucuses and primaries and what have you. What is really going to happen between now and the next presidential election. Well, it remains to be seen. But one thing you can count on for sure, one thing is absolutely guaranteed, is that the major network news services, dare I call them, they will be trumpeting the need to remove the president. But that's despite the fact 
that this has been politically engineered since before he took office. And and the ultimate charge that he was convicted of in the House had not taken place. But ultimately, the verdict will be rendered by the people when they vote in less than a year, in November 2020. A statement by former acting Solicitor General Neil Katyal, who is a critic of Trump. He said, if the Senate doesn't vote to convict Trump or tries to monkey with his trial, he could, of course, be retried in the new Senate should he win re-election. Double jeopardy protections do not apply, and senators voting on impeachment in the next months know this. That was from a tweet from Neil Katyal. What is underlying that, really? (laughs) It is showing forth efforts currently underway to manipulate United States senators into voting to convict him lest they be driven out of office (laughs) during this next election cycle, which is so near. This political coercion (laughs) program that is underway. But meanwhile, and again, that was not verbatim from the article, but I certainly did reference significantly from that article, the House has impeached President Trump. Where do we go from here from the Daily Signal and John G. Malcolm? The author of that. The next article is What's Next in the Impeachment Process? Also from the Daily Signal. And this is authored by Jarrett Stepman. But this is heavily from Heritage Foundation legal scholar Tom Jipping. And it's an interview. And I'm going to just, (laughs) again, reference it. So to begin with, the big news of the day is, of course, impeachment. If all reports are correct, then by the time you're hearing this show, the House will have voted to impeach President Donald Trump along partisan lines. Indeed. (laughs) This will make Trump the third president, a list that includes Andrew Johnson and Bill Clinton, to be impeached by the House of Representatives. Of course, no president has been convicted by the Senate and removed from office. Andrew Johnson, 
who was scandalously, shamefully (laughs) victimized, but for political gain, politically motivated. But Tom Jipping, Deputy Director of the Edwin Meese Center for Legal and Judicial Studies, Senior Fellow at the Heritage Foundation. So the charges against the president. Abuse of power and obstruction of Congress. What do those things mean? And from Tom Jipping. Quote, the first one, abuse of power is what we've been talking about for the last few months. The president pushing Ukraine to conduct a couple of investigations. And that this is referred to as being conducted for a corrupt purpose. Namely, that for a president, in this case President Trump, to pressure a foreign government, to do various things, or conducting foreign policy, even in the way President Trump does, in a kind of unconventional way, that's not impeachable. That's simply a discretion that the president has. What turns into an impeachable offense, according to Democrats, is this corrupt purpose in trying to get Ukraine to, as one Democrat said, help him cheat in next year's election. So that's pertaining to the abuse of power charge. The next charge pertains to the actual impeachment investigation and trial. Namely, President Trump refused to comply with subpoenas that were issued. And the Democrats call that obstruction of Congress. So really there's one charge, and it's abuse of power, and then it just snowballs to this other, if you will, obstruction of Congress that the president is purportedly committing by being uncooperative. Before I go any further, let me just say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever is right or good or true in this program is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever is lacking, erring, deficient, that is on me. That is due to me. But... This matter of refusal to cooperate. How many times have you read some article or other, some news article, 
The police have arrested somebody for having murdered someone or having heinously murdered somebody, having torturously, monstrously murdered person or persons. Oh, but they are cooperating with authorities. I mean, it is common. It is common. I come across it all the time. They're cooperating with authorities. Oh, that's so good. Yes, and then maybe uh, we can plead down the charges against them because they're being just such model citizens and they're just being so cooperative. Well, the president here has committed the unforgivable sin of offending the sensibilities of the House of Representatives leadership by refusing to cooperate, refusing to comply. But Mr. Jipping, Thomas Jipping, says that there is a problem with this article. This matter of obstruction of Congress, this charge by the House of Representatives, there's a problem with it, a problem with how they're doing that article, namely that normally, usually, regularly, the accepted way to do this, that when Congress issues a subpoena, and they do that a lot, It happens to be an important investigative tool that these House committees have. That when they issue a subpoena and someone, this person or that person, refuses to comply, the next step is for the committee to go to court and to get a court to rule whether that subpoena should be enforced. Interestingly, however, Congress didn't do that. I mean, the Intelligence Committee simply went from demanding that certain people show up and demanding certain documents all the way to declaring impeachable offense. They did not take this to court. They did not seek court rulings on whether these subpoenas should be enforced. They took that into their own hands. (laughs) But... Mr. Stepman says, doesn't that kind of imply that there is, I mean, we're talking about the concept of separation of powers? And Tom Jipping says, absolutely. And that's incredibly important. This isn't just a matter of when Adam Schiff, the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, says, jump. Donald Trump, the president, is supposed to ask, how high or something, I mean. Congress doesn't automatically get what it wants, especially when what it wants is from another branch of government. But 
House Democrats essentially said, because we didn't get what we want, we're going to impeach the president. That speaks of corruption on their part, frankly, as far as I'm concerned. But So now that this impeachment vote has taken place, what's the next step? What is it going to be? What happens now? The House of Representatives has the sole power of impeachment, and the Senate, the U.S. Senate, has the sole power to try impeachments. These are two steps, two separate steps, but part of a single process. The impeachment process is part of our Constitution to make it possible when absolutely necessary to remove a president for serious misconduct. Or as it stated, high crimes and misdemeanors. It's not simply House impeachment so that they can express their dissatisfaction with the president. It's supposed to be connected to the Senate trial. And if the president is convicted by two-thirds of the Senate, then he's removed from office. So Stepman says... Back to Jitman. So is there a specific way how that trial works, or is this something that the Senate will decide ultimately once it gets into that body? And Jitman says, the Constitution gives the power to try impeachments to the Senate. So the Senate has authority to decide how to conduct it. So what about a time limit? Stepman asks, I think one question that a lot of Americans have, is there a time limit for how long this can carry on? Jipping says there is no time limit. (laughs) In fact, the rules governing this say that the Senate cannot do anything else during the time that the impeachment is before them. They cannot do anything else during that time. So it can take a very long time, and this is very disruptive to the Senate, if it does take a long time. It's very disruptive because it's supposed to be the only thing that the U.S. Senate focuses on. So, the Democrat Party in the United States of America has seen fit to hogtie the entire legislative process for the foreseeable future. For however long it takes in order to pressure this. And to build up 
animosity across the country at the Republicans in the U.S. Senate for holding up legislation because they are prohibited from addressing other legislation until they deal with the impeachment. But what is this really about? It's power politics. What is politics, really? It is war by other means. <laughs> oh, we're always hearing about, oh, my, how partisan things are and how divisive things are and, you know, how unfriendly they are and how polarized everything is. Well, That's the way war is. (laughs) And that's why we hear about, and this is from me, this is not from these gentlemen, don't blame them. This is why there is that saying around the beltway by some persons in the know that the Democrats are the evil party and the Republicans are the stupid party. Because while the Democrats talk so very much about, oh, how terribly partisan those Republicans are and how obstructive they are and how divisive they are and how this, that, and the other thing they are. Meanwhile, they use anything and everything, hook and crook, to get their way. Obstruction, that is their specialty. Corruption is what they are at the core, at the best. Corrupting and perverting and subverting to gain control, to exert their will, and to overthrow the government, even if not violently, just to pervert it, pervert its ends. But the Republicans, meanwhile, are busily wringing their hands and saying, woe is me, and how do I get people to like me and not to think that I'm this bad person that the Democrats are saying that I am? It's been going on for decades. It is just extraordinary. But back to this article before I let go of it is that Ted Lieu representative he said that this would put a black mark on the Trump presidency that it's important to make that statement what's the difference between impeachment and censure which Congress has done in the past. Well, censure, according to Thomas Chippings, censure has nothing more than a resolution that just expresses the view that what the president did was terrible in some way, shape, or form. And either the House 
can do that at any time that it chooses. If it sees fit to, you know, to take such a harsh action as that. (laughs) Or the U.S. Senate can. Impeachment is provided by the Constitution. And it is a much narrower lane to be in and limits the options that Congress has. Thomas Jipping goes on to say, I think it was a grave mistake for these members of Congress to go down this track. I think it's misusing what the impeachment process was intended for. Hmm. Really? Well, moving over to someone, a blast from the past, who is, (laughs) in my view, trying to get a little attention for himself, props for himself here at this point in time. A young man of 80, John Dean. He was the White House counsel to Richard Nixon, and he cooperated with authorities in order to get a lighter prison sentence. And he said the following, and this was in testimony before the House of Representatives. He said, quote, I think this president probably should have been impeached the day he walked in, the day that he was inaugurated, right? The day that the Washington Post had this headline that the impeachment process had begun, he should have been impeached. Quote, he's incompetent. He's speaking of Donald Trump. Quote, he's incompetent. He has a terrible attitude and he doesn't understand government. End quote. And he goes on to say some other things. But think about that for a minute. This is not some, you know, color announcer from radio or something. This is a knowledgeable, experienced attorney who worked as White House counsel to Richard Milhouse Nixon. He declares that President Trump should have been impeached the day he was inaugurated. And why should he have been impeached? Because he is incompetent, has a terrible attitude, and doesn't understand government. Guess what? Those are not impeachable offenses. To say that the number of people that voted for him should not have voted for him because of that is one thing. To say he should have been impeached is outrageous. But that's John Dean. So wise and wonderful, (laughs) John Dean. But what about a former president? Bill Clinton, William Jefferson Clinton, Bubba, the big guy. He's been getting in the news, and it's where he likes to be. He said, quote, lawmakers are doing what they believe is right. End quote. (laughs) They're doing what they believe is right. Excuse me. No, they're doing what they believe they can do. (laughs) 
what they believe they can get away with. Quote, they're doing their job as they see it, and we should wait to see it unfold. End quote. From Bubba, President Bill Clinton. Fascinating, really. Again, we have less than a year before the next election. When I mentioned about I believe this is a faux pas, I'm not saying that I'm right about that, but as far as I'm concerned, it's a faux pas. But it depends on on your view of this whole process, what it's about. You know, did the Democrat leadership that got on board seemingly belatedly, you know, publicly belatedly with this impeachment process, did they expect to prevail ultimately with the U.S. Senate to get conviction concerning this impeachment? Did they expect that? Is that their, is that their expectation? Or is that their end game? To run the president out of office and then to just have to deal with Mike Pence and view him as a lame duck president, kind of, sort of? You know? uh, or is it something else? Is it to wound the president and to besmirch his shaky reputation and to inflict enough damage on him to enable them to defeat him in the general election? And if so, why would they resort to this if they had confidence in any of their candidates? Really, why? I mean, stop and think about it. They are stopping the legislative process. They are throwing a wrench into the U.S. Senate completing (laughs) the legislative process for any necessary legislation because the U.S. Senate is not allowed to take up other matters as long as they are dealing with impeachment. So what is it really about? Why did they undertake this? Well, (laughs) I can't say that I know. You know, I'm not privy to their inner circle conversations and their, their war room planning and everything else. And rest assured, that's been going on for months and 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 months. But... Assuredly, if they believed they could defeat the president, that they were in a position to unseat the president, then all of this is needless. And in fact, could even jeopardize them with voters who recognize that the inability of the U.S. Senate to go forward with any legislation is due to the Democrat-controlled House of Representatives. But, 
in my view, they did this, not just out of spite and what have you, but they did this because they did not believe. They did not have confidence that they could win in this upcoming general election. And that the leadership was persuaded that they needed to resort to this impeachment of President Trump in order to defeat him. So that ultimately they don't care about whether they prevail with the impeachment as long as they are able to cause enough damage to the president in the view of the American people at large, the electorate, the voters, to damage him sufficiently in the people's eyes to cause him to lose enough of a percentage of voters that their candidate squeaks through. Perhaps I'm mistaken, but I do believe that's what it's about. And oh, they have such an illustrious, illustrious cast of would-be presidents, don't they? Joe Biden, good old Joe, who of course is directly involved with the Barack Hussein Obama presidency. And then we have Bernie Sanders. You know, he was the star socialist last time around, and of course now we have others, but these two older white men. And then we have a colorful group of wannabe presidents, which has been thinned. (laughs) The cast of would-be presidents has been thinned. But as much as I do not care for Donald Trump, as I said last go-around, he was the only choice. Because otherwise it was going to be Hillary Rodham Clinton and she would have done massive additional damage to this nation. And if you look at what the Trump administration has done, despite all of the things that have been terribly wrong, (laughs) all of the North Korea, Kim Jong-un things and so forth, and with Syria and Turkey and what have you, it still has been a huge upgrade over the Barack Hussein Obama presidency that Joe Biden was intimately involved with, and over the Bill Clinton, Hillary Rodham Clinton presidency that Al Gore was along with. Huge upgrade. But now, of course, we could go with Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Tom, dear old Tom, Tom, but uh, billionaire Tom. Unfortunately, we will not be able to vote for Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. Well, you could vote for her, but I mean, she's not on the ticket. That doesn't mean that she will not be in a Democrat administration if the Democrats make it in. Okay? 
It doesn't mean that. Interesting, I found it interesting anyway, that her record as District Attorney of San Francisco and Attorney General of California following that, that that record was heavily criticized from so many Democrat presidential contenders. Oh, my gosh. How could that be? But billionaire Tom Steyer, who has been fighting climate control and says, quote, we can save the world and we can do it together, end quote. He's been fighting, fighting for decades, stopping fossil fuels, stopping mines, championing green energy, this great man, and now championing term limits. In case you don't know, it has been conservative Republicans and conservative independents who have been attempting to institute term limit, institute term limits now for so long to no avail. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.